4: Borders have been created by men, and borders are
5: very cruel. As I've mentioned before, partition is something that isn't part of the past. It very much lives in our present and will certainly dictate our future. For our last episode, I wanted to explore this idea even further with our guests. One is an author and journalist who physically goes to very remote border areas. The others use art to transcend the physical barriers between India and Pakistan. For the past several weeks, you've heard an array of stories across generations about partition. But what do we do with all these conversations? There are many current examples across the globe where we can put this knowledge into action and attempt to make the world a little bit better. From iHeartRadio, I'm Neha Aziz, and this is Partition a podcast that will take a closer look into this often forgotten part of history. The voice you heard at the beginning is from journalist and author Nilanjana Bomek. She recently wrote an article for National Geographic about little villages along the India-Pakistan border and their everyday physical struggles caused by this arbitrarily drawn line. In our article, she writes the following.
6: Along India's international border with Pakistan, Seven hamlets on the Ravi River rely on scattered lifelines for survival. A floating bridge that has to be dismantled for four months every year during monsoon season. A lone boat in the monsoons. A couple of empathetic boatmen. Around 3,500 people live in the cluster of seven villages known as Makora Patan, which include Thor, Lassian, Rajpur Cheba, Bharil, Gajli, Mamichakranga, and Kukar On one side, the land is fenced by the Ravi, a fierce river that separates it from the Indian mainland. On the other, miles of heavily guarded barbed wire and steel mesh fence partition it from Pakistan.
4: I have always specialized in telling stories of the human condition, so, you know, it was a very hard story to cover because um, that area is really remote, there is literally just one boat to, you know, like cross over, and that also depends on how high the river is flowing.
5: When Elanjana was approached by the magazine, she wasn't sure if she was up for the job. She had just done a difficult story about vaccinations in rural areas. She was recovering from a third bout of COVID-19, and she was doing promotions for her book, Lies Our Mothers Told Us. She was swamped.
4: At the end of it all the story was so gripping you know 75 years after independence that you know this was still the India you know one of the India's you know that was still existing was so so compelling that I honestly had to put aside all my reservations and I said I'm going you know I mean this is not a story that I cannot not tell you know this is a story I have to tell
5: She mentioned that although the area she was visiting was a non-confrontational border, she still faced a lot of issues with trying to get in.
4: Even then, because of the mere fact that this was uh, the India-Pakistan border, it was very, very difficult getting permission. To be honest with you, we were running against the clock because the bridge was going to be dismantled. And first we wanted to be there, you know, when the bridge was being dismantled, but we didn't get the permission for that. After I think you know two three weeks of struggling to get permission, we thought that this was not happening, because once the uh, you know monsoon started in earnest, then you know the river will flow, and there was no point in going because we would not be able to cross. We could still do a story, but wouldn't do justice, you know, to the lives that the people in those um, enclaves lead because, you know, unless you experience what they experience, even though, you know, we are experiencing it maybe, you know, like for a couple of days, three days, four days, you know, but still you have a taste of, if this is so difficult for me for four days, just imagine this is the life that these people live
5: every day. Nalunjana states in the article that life has remained unchanged since partition. Many issues remain. Roads are unpaved, primary schools are struggling, and there are no high schools or hospitals. In her article, she describes the daily pains residents must endure. To approach the villages from the shore, one has to carefully
6: negotiate almost a mile of sandy and slippery riverbed, which turns into mush when it rains giving way to unpaved and uneven stretches leading up to the various villages. The challenges of daily living here has intensified with the increasing frequency of extreme weather events due to climate change,
5: especially flooding. A 70-year-old farmer, Joel Singh, is quoted saying, we are the forgotten people.
6: The fear of getting caught in a crossfire between the two countries is always present. India and Pakistan have fought two full-fledged wars since 1947, as well as several minor skirmishes and a limited conflict in Gargil in 1999. If another war breaks out, the residents fear they would have nowhere to run.
5: We could be wiped off the face of the earth during the night, and nobody would know before it's too late, Singh said. Despite running into problems with the Indian border security force while shooting footage, Nilanjana was able to get the story with some adjustments. She said planning and executing the story took a little less than 20 days. She drove 10 hours from her home in Delhi to the Punjab province. She stayed in a local army base called Pathan Court. Every morning the crew would set out at 5am in order to reach the river by 6am, the time when the first ferry departs on a good day.
4: Sometimes, you know, we would just go and sit there, you know, because the water levels would be high and the boat wouldn't be, you know, flying. And we would just sit there waiting, you know, along with the passengers, you know, talking to them. So, Or just generally, you know, just eavesdropping on their conversations. It is a whole thing, you know, that community, you know, just depends on each other. There is such a community feeling that even if you are a new person, you become a part of the community immediately because that's what they do, you know. They have so little to go on and their life is so full of struggles that they somehow, you know, like, Embrace you, you know, with an openness that is probably not possible, you know, in a city or even, you know, in places, you know, where life is easier.
5: Nalanjana had a total of five days to capture the experiences of these communities. She and the team gained assistance from locals in order to interview the residents of these sparsely populated areas. They had a rough first day. They weren't really getting the stories they had envisioned. But on day two, she encountered a husband and wife, Manjeet and Rajinder, waiting for a boat.
4: So, you know, like this couple was, you know, like they were like uh, waiting to cross and she was carrying like this big jute kind of a bag, you know, and I could see that she had food in the bag so then i just you know like approached um, him just you know this was not planned or anything i had no idea about who the guy was or what they were doing i just you know approached him out of this this instinct you know like some instinct you know and when i was talking to him that's when the story just came out so I said that you know are you going on the other side and he said yes we are going on the other side so I said that what is that you know your wife is carrying and he said that oh it's food for us so then I was intrigued I was like what do you mean you know so do you, you have land there right. And he said, yeah, you know, we go uh, across every day. We have land there. So, you know, like she has got, you know, like breakfast and lunch. And my father is on the other side. So, you know, we are going to go there the entire day, you know, we'll work on the fields. And then, you know, I mean, in the evening. And then I said that, you know, so you do this every day. And he said, yes, we do this every day. We, you know, like he lives around 20 kilometers away. And he leaves home at around 4 a.m. every morning to come to the boat stop. to take the boat, you know, to the other side. For me, that was the first, you know, like, glimpse of the story I was going to tell that I had.
5: When she tagged along with this couple, another angle of the story presented itself.
4: It is a story about separation, you know, like a story about a border within a country these people live in land that belongs to india part of the land is you know on the pakistan side but they don't live there you know it's like just you know land for cultivation but they still you know like live on indian land but you know the river ravi is such a furious river that almost everyone i spoke to there told me the same thing that you know this river is like, you know, it separates us from India. This is our border, you know, for India, the border starts, you know, like from the border fences, but for us, you know, the border starts from here. So what came out on the second day is that, you know, like the elderly have decided to stay back because they can't abandon the land. But you know, like they also know that they're the younger generation, Mm, Like not their children, but their grandchildren, you know, have no future on that land, you know, that land doesn't even have a a primary health care center or or anything, you know, there is like nothing there, you know, so they have what they have all done, you know, is that, you know, they all bought land on the other side, which is, uh, you know, like the main land Makora Patan. So the younger generation has moved there, their children, you know, go to school, you know, like over there. They just, you know, like come and go every day.
5: Nilanjana goes on to say that the people who live in these small villages are lifelines for each other.
4: When the water rises, they're cut off from the mainland. In the night, you know, after 7 o'clock, when the boat stops, they're cut off. So, you know, even if there is a medical emergency, I mean, they sometimes, you know, the BSF will help them, you know, like to probably get to the mainland. But... You know and the boatman, you know also because he's part of the community and he feels so bad for them If they call him in an emergency he'll come you know and despite you know it being so dangerous in the night you know to take the boat He sometimes you know he does take the boat you know to help you know someone who's probably ill So you know there is this community feeling you know that is literally you know the lifeline of this community over here and you know like when you get on the boat uh, because you know there is no embankment right so you know like they have to struggle to get the boat and then you know like the people you know who are pushing the boat and even the boat is steered on the one end you know by the boatman but on the other end by the passengers so it's a very you know like a they do it together because you know it's they all are from the community they have grown up you know this has been their life for you know 75 years 100 years you know like as long you know like as some of them can remember so you know like there is this community feeling because they understand that if nobody is there for them you know they have to make the best of you know like whatever they have That's how, you know, like, it's working
5: there. She says when visiting Makora Patan, you really see how this man-made divide affects these people.
4: Someone came there, measured the land, and fenced it off. But the land they fenced off were some people's livelihood, right? They fenced it off, without you know paying heed to the fact that there is a furious river that flows by that keeps on changing course that floods a lot and that you know this communities would be totally cut off from the mainland they created a border they separated this community you know from the mainland from the Indian mainland and didn't even provide them with a bridge you know a simple bridge can change the fortunes of this community a simple bridge you know if you think about this uh, five hamlets there are people there. they have lives they have stories they have lived lives they have seen you know the India Pakistan partition they have seen India getting independent they have had full lives they have you know lived they have loved they have lost they have lost loved ones because they didn't have a bridge You know, women have died at childbirth because, you know, they could not be taken to the hospital. And these are real stories. These are real people. Their stories should matter. Their stories should matter to all of us, but their stories should matter to our governments. In a world where we are boasting of immense technological, you know, like innovation and advancement. This is the saddest story. The saddest story always belongs to human beings.
5: The residents were tired of being abandoned, so they took a stand.
4: For the first time, you know, they have boycotted the elections, local elections. That's a huge thing because in India and probably in every, you know, like uh, developing nation or even developed nation, you know, uh, policy is determined by the vote vote bank. Right, and if people are you know boycotting elections, that's a sure way to get the retention. There has been a regime change in Punjab as well. You know, uh, many ministers have visited that area and promised that a bridge would be built by the end of this year. And um, hopefully, you know, we would have contributed to the push a little bit, me and Soumya, <laughs> through our story. And hopefully, you know, like there'll be a bridge, you know, by the
5: end of the year. Nalanjana and I are counting the days.
2: Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Class is in session. Find Try This from The Washington Post wherever you listen.
3: Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week.
1: Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S., Join now and save up to 25% your first year at lifelock.com slash news. That's lifelock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here.
2: I'm Katya Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico,
5: The Pind Collective is a collaborative art space that seeks to bring together artists of all kinds across the border. It was founded by PhD candidate Avni Tandanvira and filmmaker Ansh Ravir Vora. The name not only comes from the combination of India and Pakistan, but also the word Pind in Punjabi means neighborhood or village. In 2013, while at a college debate competition, Avni visited Pakistan, and it was there that a plan began to form.
0: At the time, I don't think I thought about the weight of that experience or how difficult it was. But once I was there, um, it was strange because it felt like I was visiting home. But obviously, there were many ways in which it was different. There were all of these commonalities, whether cultural or social or linguistic, people with whom you know I had so much in common. But at the same time, I was aware that I had crossed a border and that I had traveled very far from home in a certain sense. Um, What was most striking for me though was that when I returned, when I made that journey back across Vaga, I returned with all of these friendships and these new connections that I hadn't even imagined were possible, but also the realization that short of crossing that physical border, there weren't very many opportunities for young people like myself to connect with young people across the border. And that felt strange because as people who grow up on the internet, who grow up digitally connected and savvy, the assumption is that anybody that you want to speak to across the world is within reach. And that's really not true when it comes to India and Pakistan. When you think about the average Indian 20-something, they're not likely to have friends across the border, even though there are so many reasons for those friendships to exist.
5: She quickly wanted to remedy this obstacle and create a space for like-minded people to join her.
0: Regardless of geographical distance on the subcontinent, could connect and speak and address both what we have in common and the past that lies behind us, as well as the possibilities that lie ahead of us. And Anj initially was one of the participating artists that I was keen to work with at the very beginning of the project. But what I quickly realized was that we were very compatible in terms of our working styles, and that he would be a wonderful addition to the team. But also, that with a project like this, more hands is always better, and the more space there is for collaboration and different viewpoints, the further the project can travel, really. So, I invited him to join, and he very kindly agreed, and that was the start.
5: Ansh remembers listening to stories from his grandmother, which not only inspired his role in the Pin Collective, but also as a filmmaker.
7: For me, as a storyteller, I used to spend uh, summer vacations with her growing up, and um, before going to sleep, she used to tell me stories of her time in Pakistan and what she remembers of it as a nine-year-old girl. Uh, the story of when she walked on foot from Pakistan to India when the when the partition happened and sort of the encounters uh, she faced on the journey to India as well as sort of what it was like to find a new home in India and she sort of went on and on and I sort of was the perfect audience for it so I think those stories in particular uh, inspired my interest in a lot of the work that I ended up doing with the collective as well as uh, in, the, in the field of documentary in general a lot of my uh, work uh, personally uh, tries to explore the idea of home and belonging and separation I grew up listening to a lot of those stories from my grandmother. And around the time uh, the PIN Collective began, we were also starting to realize that we were very quickly losing the generation that uh, experienced the partition firsthand. My grandmother included, all I have is like memories of her telling me those stories when I was growing up. But I felt a sense of urgency in uh, wanting to crystallize some of those stories and pass them on.
5: Avni went into more detail about their project. So the way that the collective
0: works is the core that runs through all of the projects we do is one of collective work. So in the earlier editions of our project, we would pick a theme, so say home or resistance, and we would leave that theme open to interpretation. And the artists who participate in our projects Come from all sorts of disciplines. So, we've had dancers, photographers, writers, poets. And the idea is that they look at that central theme and try to understand how it resonates with them and bring to the table a piece of work that they think best encapsulates what the theme means to them. And from there, we begin a process of response where each artist chooses a piece from the other side of the border and responds to that. So what you have at the end is a collection of works in conversation with one another, across disciplines, across borders, that really allow you to look at this central idea for something as simple as home and talk about what that means in various registers and in various mediums. So for instance, with home, we have ideas of the body and how you feel at home in the body. You have ideas of lost homes and what that means. You You have the idea of migration and travel, and so having a process where there is a sense of trust in the artist and an open-endedness to, you know, how you operate, we find leads to end results that surprise us in all the best ways. Because if the focus of your project is diversity and a range of approaches and, and a range of expressions, then having just one central pivot and then allowing that to go where it goes, we found organically leads to very interesting results. That's one mode that we've used in the various projects that we run.
5: This process allowed the collective to make more collaborative projects.
0: So for instance, we have a project called Thick Tour, which translates to how far, which essentially paired up one office from India and one office from Pakistan, mid-pandemic. To consider what it means to be distant. Obviously, this, this means politically, because you know, we're operating in a certain particular climate and with the weight of a certain history behind us. But also within the pandemic, to think about what distance meant there, and we created a series of themes there that responded to that theme. So the project you know evolves over time, but with each edition, what's remained central is this idea of collaboration and also this idea of letting it be artist-driven, letting it be
5: participant driven Like several previous guests, Ansh and Avni feel like they have a responsibility to get these stories out there.
7: One of my takeaways from this has been in, in the India-Pakistan context specifically, there's an inherited sort of, there's a trauma that's inherited and that's been passed on to us through another the, the, the third generation. Since the partition, uh, and we've we've had a very limited vocabulary to sort of help express what that drama is and help process it. Given that, like Avni mentioned, there's been such sort of limited avenues for us to even acknowledge that drama or like sort of have conversations with each other across the border in a way that might sort of help process it or might help navigate through the challenges of uh, being who we are, and then living through, having lived through that turmoil in the past, but also navigating through these sort of very fraught political relationships that our countries have. And what better way to do it and what better tool to use to try and sort of navigate through those very complicated landscapes than to rely on story.
5: Onshore calls a few favorite memories from the collective.
7: A couple of my favorite moments over the last couple of years that have come from interactions at the Pin Collective have been this one time um, after my I filmed my interview with my grandmother. One of the artists from Pakistan uh, sort of immediately identified with a lot of what she was hearing in my grandmother's story and related it to uh, the story that her kala told her growing up. Then was so touched by my grandmother and saw her grandmother. In in nani in a way that sort of inspired her to create an artwork that uh, that encapsulated uh, my grandmother's journey from Pakistan to India and that connection was able to break through sort of that one-on-one interaction between just me and Sana the artist, but also impact in some very meaningful ways uh, my grandmother who then ended up recording a message for Sana and were able to build that connection however brief in a way that uh, I know my grandmother now has that artwork uh, in her bedroom and continues to get it every, every morning uh, so I think like the importance of those connections has sort of really what's made it worth it uh, another sort of favorite moment of mine and uh, sort of favorite sort of, uh, outcome uh, of a lot of these interactions has been uh, two artists who worked on a zine together and ended up, and that zine ended up being about their neighbourhoods. This was part of the Kithnidu uh, a project that Avni was uh, referring to the third uh, and to through over the, over the course of that project and describing their neighbourhoods to each other and what it's like to live in the cities that they live in. They did you know, not just form a bond that lasted over the course of uh, that project, but every couple of months I see sort of them wishing each other on Instagram, and it's a, it's a resilient connection that has sort of stayed on sort of beyond that particular interaction that they had within the confines of the pin Collective. So I feel like being able to establish those sort of long-lasting relationships, and then through the artwork we put out into the world, uh, hopefully uh, invoking conversations between the audiences and sort of, uh, hopefully having them identify with a lot of the stories we're trying to tell or find friends. Something that resonates, uh, I think, is the goal, and hopefully we'll be able to achieve a little bit of that over the last
5: couple of years. The pair stress that having images of partition outside of those from the papers and news stories is vital. They want to connect these stories in emotion, and not a few quick bullet points. I couldn't help but ask what future they saw for India and Pakistan.
0: It's a hard question, you're not wrong. Um, I think it's a very difficult trajectory to chart to try to understand where we go from here. On a personal level, I think um, I have a lot of hope uh, when it comes to, for instance, other people you've interviewed, people doing incredible work across the border, whether documentary or artistic. There's a real sense, I think, uh, both in India and Pakistan, that what we have in common is, is worth preserving. I think art and the personal is where I see most space for connection simply because, and, and I'm echoing here, because there's room for depth and there's room for accessibility for the personal, for understanding, for contemplation, a lot of which is erased when it comes to political conversation. I think the future of our two countries is likely to be realized through people and not governments just because the political is hard to chart and it's hard to control. I think for a very long time, victims or survivors of partition have had difficult relationships with that experience, but a lot of love and a lot of fondness and a deep connection with where they came from. Something that's not always acknowledged when we think about partition as a political concept or borders as a political concept. Um, I think our identities extend far beyond geographical boundaries, and we'll continue to do so. And I hope, honestly, that projects like our own continue to multiply, so that it's not exceptional for people on either side of the border to be speaking. It's not exceptional for projects like ours to be connecting people, because that's the norm. So that's the future that I hope for.
5: Empathy is a skill I think every person needs to possess. We shouldn't ignore events happening in our backyard or other places because we think it has nothing to do with us. This idea of an ease when it comes to the other isn't specific to India and Pakistan. Many countries do not want citizens from other countries that don't look like them. For example, the treatment of Syrian refugees differed immensely from Ukrainian refugees. There has been a rapid rise of nationalism among many countries, including the UK and the United States. Children are still being separated from their families. Hateful legislation continues to be created to erase marginalized communities. And there are large amounts of misinformation when it comes to a variety of topics like elections and immigration policy. In order to have empathy, we need to go beyond 60-second TV clips or breaking news articles and learn about these issues more deeply. There is no one piece of material that can encompass an entire major historical event and every detail that comes with it, whether it is a film, book, or podcast. As a creator, my goal with this show is to highlight partition in relation to memories, lesser known stories, and its continuing effects after 75 years. But there is so much more to discover I encourage everyone to look into the numerous examples mentioned and to continue your journey with partition. Read one of the books we quoted from, look at the 1947 partition archive and watch other experiences or visit Brithika's art installations online or in person. You can find a list of all of our sources linked in the show notes. Look into your family's history and have a chat with your relatives. If partition is something that you didn't know much about Ask yourself what else you may not know. Share your understanding and realizations with others. There is no timeline on learning or changing our perspectives when we obtain new information. The simple willingness of wanting to investigate stories and histories outside of what we already know is incredibly powerful. I am eternally grateful to you for listening. Thank you for giving me your time and attention these past 10 weeks. And I sincerely hope I'll be back soon with more underrepresented stories. Until we meet again, I'm Neha Aziz, and this is Partition. Partition was developed as a part of the NextUp initiative created by Anna Hosnier, Joelle Monique, and Yesenia Median. Partition is produced by Anna Hosnier, Trisha Mukherjee, and Becca Ramos. It is edited by Rory Gagan with original score composed by Mark Hadley.